All right, welcome to the USL show. It is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Um, it's a special episode today. I've got Evan with me as usual. Evan, how's it yeah, going? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Um, <laughs> I'm just going to keep that's the whole show. I'm just going to say that for about 20 minutes. Um, no, no, it's good. I, listen, I, uh, I appreciate being able to take a break from the out and out hosting. Yeah, and just show up sometimes, you know. Feels nice. Yeah, it's different for a, a reason. We're doing a morning episode, which is yeah. super early for Evan at 10 a.m. No, Eastern, right? It's not. I, okay, <laughs> all right, all right, that's fine. This is our second take, and he messed up last time. And uh, our our guest, whom I'm about to introduce, uh, ripped him pretty good because he has kids, and I have kids, and this is not early for us. But <laughs> for a single guy in his 20s, this is this no. is not uh, late by any means. No. Uh, but speaking of Travis Clark, I really almost did it again. I almost called him Travis Scott. Uh, Travis Clark is the director of content at Top Drawer, so- Top Drawer Soccer. Travis, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm sitting here just thinking about our our, our alternate our alternate show, which was pretty funny because <laughs> yeah, I, I really came in. I came I came in without an intro and made fun of Evan, which was great. Somebody I've never met before. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really good person to. Yeah, it's a really to, good first impression. Off. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, no, happy to be here. Happy to talk a little bit USL in the context of the MLS draft and whatever else may come up for the next what thirty minutes, thirty oh, that, yeah, three, sure. three hours. Yeah, three, three hours. hours. Three is, hours. I think we can talk for three hours on this. Probably. God help us. That would be terrible. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, well, let's dig right into it, though. Uh, Ryan Allen, on our last show, we talked a little bit about the draft, and um, uh, he mentioned a few things. One of his stats was that 21 out of 48 picks in rounds three and four were passed on in the draft. There are a lot of other things and little indicators that perhaps it's not as hot a thing as usual. Uh, one of them being that the union just punted on the draft completely. Uh, so, Travis, is that something that's kind of happening this year more so than others? Has it been a trend? How do we feel about the draft? Yeah, I, I don't think it's anything new, honestly. It was funny to see the union trade away all their picks, and it seems like the deal they made with FC Cincinnati, I wonder if Cincinnati was like, hey, what, would, what do you need for pick 13, which was the first round pick. And the union said, oh, you have to take them all if you take one of them. So then they made the deal. That's kind of yeah. how I imagine it going down. Okay, I was going to say, did, that would be is pretty that good. I, I could no, I have, see I have, it. I have no idea. Um, no, yeah, that, that, that's not any, like, based on any reporting. That's no. 100% guesswork. Heard it but here, it folks. seems like... I'm sure, like, <laughs> like uh, I don't know, like, at the end of the season, Alan, uh, Alan Koch went to Brendan Burke and was like, hey, we really want your guys' draft picks. Can we have those yeah. <laughs> and brendan went okay go for it whatever so back to your original question though i'll carry on because i didn't really answer it the draft is sort of trending in its place where i feel like two rounds would be sufficient if you want to you know mls is a league that loves its events it loves creating interest but mm-hmm. at the same time if you're not going to give these guys a fair shake at a roster spot then what are we doing here mm-hmm. there's also that question but then there's a piece to it where the red bulls who obviously get a lot of plaudits for what they do with their system with the Red Bulls 2 team and the way they actually try to give players an extended look there and then they sign guys from there if they're good enough they used all the draft picks so I'm I'm fascinated to see how that shakes out and I think also in the context they use their draft picks to pick guys that played PDL for them the past few seasons so guys they know Mm. way more than you know somebody that they've scouted from like a you know big west school like all using some janky streaming thing or whatever. So there's that piece to it as well. I think that look, I don't I don't 
at this point in Major League Soccer, you're not going to win MLS Cup because you drafted somebody in the first round and you hit on that. It's got to be, you know, you look at Atlanta United, they they drafted Julian Gressel, sure, but, you know, he he kind of just hit the ground running and showed he could what he could do and had that opportunity. So the expansion piece to everything in MLS will also give these guys a chance, but at the same time, so many teams pass, that gives these players a chance, you know, these these college hopefuls a chance to either look abroad, go to second or third division somewhere in Scandinavia. If you really want to be a pro, I think that's where you should start. And you play four years of soccer or you're not like left. You're not the last man standing on an MLS team after getting picked in the second round. And then you are left hanging out to dry because all the USL teams have filled up the roster while you've been, you know, you've been through going through preseason with MLS team with set it, you know, in this hypothetical situation and then you'll have a chance to go out and sort your future now as opposed to like kind of being sold a false bill of goods so anyway end rant and soapbox i'll I'll step (laughs) off now no i like that you put in some positive spin on there uh it's not spin rather just it is positive in some ways i love the red bull example i'm just trying not to be 100 percent negative because you'd be like a draft is stupid. Ah. That's what I'm doing yeah. right now. And I, I love having two sides of the story instead of because obviously the the obvious press right now is that it's all bad and it's terrible and it's stupid and should just be given, go away. And it's not necessarily true. Um, look at what, you know, Cincinnati did with the draft is they doubled down yep. on it, you know. Yep. So and uh, one of those guys that was with an MLS team, like right up until the final day and then kind of had the scramble to find a team last year is Bruce Gundrich. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, guys like that are now like a big commodity and one of the the key pieces that Sacramento Republic added in the offseason, you know, so it's which I don't know if that was just like a weird circumstantial thing or, you know, like if you said, Travis, like now that we have more teams like Loudon and, and, you know, some other ones popping up in the next year or two, like Birmingham and stuff that are going to have to probably lean on those guys that maybe didn't get drafted or that were former draft picks. Um, if those guys will find homes a little quicker or what, but I mean, it's not like these are, you know, bad guys, obviously with Drew being a, what, three time Mm -hmm. national champion at the NCAA level that are just kind of not getting picked up. But it is weird to me that there's guys out there like that, that, you know, Mm -hmm. this year probably would have got passed on and and might not have, you know, landed anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to to draw correlations on a year to year basis because Mm -hmm. you have the different pieces to it. What I, what I, was ranting about a little bit in the, um, I went on a bunch of podcasts and can't remember who I said this to or when, but so you look at the draft process, right? And you draw parallels to the other North American sports, like people that are fans of the NFL by and large are fans of college football. So the draft is a thing because you know who these guys are right. and you know, you're scouting them. It's same with basketball, right? Like mm-hmm. prospecting, there's a thing. Baseball is a little bit different. If we're, you know, drawing like, we're for like putting and so hockey who the hell knows what's going on in hockey. I don't understand that draft, but <laughs> I think, I think people have told me that MLS could adopt a similar one where players are drafted and can still go to college and teams will retain rights yep. or something crazy like that. Yep. Um, you could do something like that. But my point being there, <laughs> there are college soccer fans, but not to an extent where your MLS fans are all like, man, I can't wait to see who wins the G one national championship this fall. Right, right? You right, have people, right tuning into the game when it's like generally the worst soccer, which is the national championship because all the teams want to win. They play two games in three days in the final weekend. And they're like, Oh, this soccer is terrible. But when in reality, it's not great a lot of the times, but there is more soccer played at the earlier points in the season when they're not like 
striving and just like pumping balls into the box and trying mm-hmm. to do it that way. So I don't know what my point with that rant was again, as I go on another one, <laughs> just wanted to like, bring up quality of play in college. Soccer. Yeah. And just sort of the parallels, like note. MLS has this draft. I don't know why they had it to stock the league at one point. They yeah. don't eat it now because they're yeah. at a point where, and we're going to talk about this later. Players are siphoned off through homegrown systems or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're a lead American if you're a good American soccer player and you're like 16, 17 and you want to actually be good or be your best, sorry, you have to go to Europe because that's where it's like a, it's just a different world and different environment that mm. you're not going to get here. And well, for the most part, you're not going to play here except in the USL maybe. Yeah. So that's exactly where I wanted to go next. And um, that's the other thing that Ryan Allen was able to give us some stats for where uh, the top five picks for last year, Four of them, in um, except for Moutinho, uh, Hilliard Arce, Tristan Blackman, Francis Atuahene, uh, and uh, John Baccaro. All of those guys went to the USL last year and did well. Blackman was a huge piece, a huge reason why uh, Phoenix Rising was able to go all the way to the, mm. to the final last year because um, they mm-hmm. needed to really solidify that back line. So this, you know, people have been talking about as part of getting rid of the draft that the USL really could use a draft like this but it's not necessarily the way it should be, but USL is playing its role. Um, I love that we get these players, and, and it's interesting the way they end up coming here. Mm. Um, sure, it, sure, it sure is like random at times, it seems like. It because is. Because sometimes we'll see players pop up and be like, oh, John Baccaro's get playing for Tulsa yeah. when he was with the fire. I think, though, to... Um, sorry, I know you were going to say a point, but one thing to point out, too with the draft is Joao Moutinho was already traded, which yeah. I'm like, and he was the number one overall pick. So I think whatever context you want to, like and Andrew Wenker, like he retired after eight seasons <laughs> yeah. after being the top pick. So like, mm-hmm. it's just things like that. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. yes, drafts are crapshoot. Prospecting is not a, an exact science, but like these players aren't as needed as they are in other sports. Yeah, right. exactly. I think it's right. a good way to really put it. And then the USL is like a catch all that, these players, if they really stick to it and get the chance, I think there's still a. You could still probably debate about the freedom of movement between a U, like a USL independent squad. You guys know this more than I do, mm-hmm. between a USL independent squad and an MLS team. And this is one thing I pointed out on our show last week. Like the the player is probably worth more to that USL team than it is to sell to an MLS team, and then replacing that player becomes an even bigger challenge for a team that you know, now can't, has to either wait for a draft or so like, I think the freedom of movement is limited there unless you have a small con, like a one or two year deal or something. Anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, you listed, um, a lot. I only took probably the top six or seven guys, but you wrote an article for MLSsoccer.com, uh, listing all the best, um, possible MLS players coming out of the draft. And I kind of imagined all of these guys moving to, a USL, um, a USL side. So, you know, Matt Hundley from UCLA could be playing for the switchbacks this year. Um, Mm -hmm. another one, my favorite one is Trey Muse is probably going to see time at Seattle two next year. Yeah. Uh, The guys at RB two, um, the guys on on uh, Bulls Rising love Omir Fernandez. That they'll probably see some. He'll see some time with RB two. Are uh, are those some of the best players you think too, or some other players that you think are going to really shine in USL this year if they get a chance there? Yeah, so those are all uh, homegrown players. It's worth clarifying too mm. because Thank you, yeah. they're under they're underclassmen who were in another situation. You know, let's say 
the academies didn't exist or you come up with a rule where once a player goes to college, then their rights are up for grabs or mm-hmm. like they don't retain the rights, whatever, which doesn't happen. It's a hypothetical. And I don't know if it makes sense even as I keep saying it out loud. But those are guys that you definitely would expect. You know, uh, I don't know if you mentioned Donovan Pines, too. He's like and the the D.C. just announced the signing of Antonio Bustamante, who played at William & Mary. And you guys are probably like, what's William & Mary? Or maybe you know what it is. For, forgive me for assuming. Nope. But, like, um, he's a guy that D.C. doesn't sign to a homegrown deal if they don't have a USL team. I think that's a really good example. Amir Fernandez is, like, a high-end, like, probably will be on one of those USL under, what is it, 20 under 20 lists. Like, I would put him in the top five hmm without even looking because I, I think he can be a, an elite player. I think he has a national team future potential, potential future, whatever. So, and another name, which we haven't heard if he's going pro or not is Ryan, who another really exciting electric wide player that he could either end up back at Duke from the fall or go to the steel. I think I've talked to a couple of people in the area and, you know, maybe, you know, more Evan, like, he might sign directly with this deal and leave Duke, which would be kind of crazy to me. But there are also things that you don't know with college players. Like a lot of programs have started to, and I think Trey Mew said this to somebody in the media that he played it two years at Indiana. He can now go back and he retains his scholarship. So, yep. 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 So I don't um, know if that's a full scholarship or not, but regardless, you, you can, you know, gamble on the pro thing now and then go back and take care of you. The um the scholarship thing varies, I think, school to school. Yes, because I'm pretty yeah, sure that's worth pointing out for sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mark McKenzie still has his, uh, and he only did a year at Wake. Yeah, but the 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 point being, like, there's all these things going on behind yeah. the scenes that maybe weren't in place previously. Because a lot oh, of that, for sure, for sure, a lot of that is obviously driven by the revenue sports, either yeah. basketball or football, because, yeah. you know, it's like a Duke. I'm sure those guys all have guaranteed scholarships now yeah. on the basketball team. Like mm-hmm. I can probably say, unless I'm, I can't imagine that not being the case, right. but, right. um, and I, I wonder if that's what, I mean, we don't need to go down that speculation, sure. but, <laughs> another, um, oh, another player I want to ask you about, you, you mentioned on Twitter this week out after this article happened, is it Keita? They, the, the crew signed him. Abubakar yep. Keita, yeah. You. I was curious so, about I don't him. know what... Oh, yeah, he's a very, very promising center-back prospect from Virginia. He played at the, you know, another under-20 World Cup potential guy, and I bet when he was at camp there, they haven't... The crew hasn't announced his signing yet, but I would imagine uh, he's another guy that would get shipped out somewhere um, depending on what the crew have planned in terms of a USL affiliation. I know... I feel like I read they want to have their own USL team eventually, but clearly they're not going to launch that this season. So uh, he's a big, big center back from the University of Virginia. I imagine another kid in this conversation where he can go back and have his school covered. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, you look at the USL landscape and there'll be a lot of promising young Americans and a lot of up and coming uh, uh, domestic up and comers. If you're, you want to watch it, you view it from a sort of a, youth national team lens or even up and coming us players with Amir Fernandez and 
uh, just one of the many, many names that should be out more so than MLS, depressingly enough. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of part of the point that people are making about USL in the draft is is I get really excited for the draft, maybe more so than some MLS teams. But um, I want to jump over to Justin Rennix. This is a little bit of a push to talk about him, but I'm so interested in his story because he went to Europe and auditioned, got in trouble with New England for doing that, kind of a hand slap, thought he was going to have to go back to Indiana. And now they just signed him as a homegrown player the other day. And so I'm curious about, I don't know if you know any more about how that went down and why. And also we should talk about, will he go somewhere? Because uh, the union or the uh, revolution don't have an affiliate in the USL that I know of. Um, but, mm-hmm. but a guy was sent over to Orange County. Mark Segbers is a St. Louis and from Wisconsin University. Um Mm-hmm. So, you know, where do we see Renix? I know that's a lot, but I just thought I'd get all the questions and you can go. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that it'll depend on how he does in preseason, how he fits. I think that he showed a lot. He showed well with the under-20s and with Indiana. I'm I'm a little bit curious to see where they fit, like where, what kind of system the Revolution play and where Renix fits in that context. Because do you think they would use him anyway, though? You know, well, probably not, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. I, they would hopefully have a plan for him in place, but again... These are te- these teams are probably not as well run as I project them to be, <laughs> and like the the, the you just want to have him play somewhere. So in terms of his like the pre college drama, I guess they booted him from the academy. I think his senior year, and clearly they were able to. I don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but I know there were meetings when he was home early in the summer. I don't think. That he had played, and I could be wrong, the Revolution do have an under-23 squad for some of their college academy kids, and I believe that he didn't play, but I'm not 100% sure. He might have ended up playing. So I think a lot of this is probably under-20 World Cup-driven as well, where you could have Renick sign, and if he does well, maybe he gets sold early. But I don't, I don't necessarily know if I see him having that kind of a ceiling. So looking at it through the sort of glass half-empty, you'd imagine that the Revolution are talking with USL team saying we have this kid mm-hmm. under 20 program uh, under 20 kid that needs minutes before the world cup please can you find some time for him and then you know there are enough teams popping up i can't even keep track that yeah you'd have to feel like they could find somebody closer than orange county california to send him out to you yeah. would think so same with mark <laughs> segbers last year but um it is weird that he's an attacker in usl independent sides especially and then you know two sides don't need him so it's hard for them to trust young strikers i feel like so league one might be really interesting for him this year especially but i was curious because i'm really disappointed that he's stuck in this situation i was almost hoping you wouldn't sign a homegrown deal but I guess Europe didn't work out, so what other option do you have? Which, yeah. Which gives me caution there, because if he couldn't make it on any kind of a German academy or you know, other Dutch academy or something like that, I wonder how good he is. What, do you know much about it? About Renix? Like, yeah, His you never know with those Europe? things. Yeah, I don't know. I, you never know what happens. Like So many variables, whether it's the, you know, the player has trouble with the jet lag or just can't get up to speed or whatever the case like it's hard to really i don't know exactly what happened for, with his attempts to go to europe i don't necessarily view him as a a huge high ceiling player because of that sort of positional uncertainty like he played number nine for the under 20s but he's definitely not a number nine and then that asks the question of okay are you going to be mm. playing like a wide midfield like wide forward how does that fit? Can you impact the game against bigger, stronger, faster players, et cetera, et cetera. So you I know, think it'll be interesting to see what happens to him, especially because 
a lot of what happens is, you know, these these players are being pushed a lot, and for better or for worse, by the federation. To and I don't think there's ultimatums of like, oh, you have to go pro or you have no shot at the World Cup. But if you're Justin Rennix, right? Think about it. You, it's January. The World Cup's in May. If you don't turn pro, you like you're yeah. getting a five or six games of spring soccer, mm. and that's it. Like that's going to be pretty tough to make a case for to tab when he could have a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, some MLS fringe guys or guys in Europe. Like it's a really difficult. You know, you have to admire the job that Ramos has done because mm-hmm. of always the demands of under twenty World Cup and. Uh, it's also, I don't know if you guys read the article in The Athletic where he was yes. interviewed by Paul Tenorio. It's hilarious. He like, France, let pa-, you know, Pogba was released by Juventus for the World Cup <laughs> the, in 2013. And here we have MLS teams like Biggie. So like, good. It's, oh my gosh, it's hilarious. Well, and that's what I was going to say is he just went off on uh, American players not getting any minutes. So you make a really good point there about that. Something I hadn't thought of, but... Um, Renix, you know, I thought the same thing about him. I wasn't too high on him until I saw him with the U20s, and I thought there wasn't a, as much of a gap between him and Soto as I thought, and there's a lot of variables that go into it, but I don't know. Soto's a clear number nine, I would think, and I don't want to, you shouldn't necessarily jump to conclusions based off their performances down in Florida because, you know, he was obviously added to the roster late, and he didn't look at his best, and he's a little bit younger too, I think. If I'm not mistaken, he's born in 2000 and was actually eligible for the under-17 World Cup in 2017, but didn't get an extended look. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out for Renix, and it, it certainly makes an even more interesting case to follow USL, at least between now and May, with all these guys looking to make a case to tab and stay match fit. You know, we talked about Trey Muse. Like, I think he's somebody that could arguably be the starting goal. I know they love Brady Scott, but or the, at least the coaching staff appears to, but I think... I, I think Trey Muse is a better goalkeeper in the long run if I had to put money down on it. Oh, good. I, I'm really, really excited to see him with S2 probably uh, next year at some point. Or whatever S2 is called, right? Aren't they oh, rebranding right. Tacoma, yeah. Tacoma yeah. whatevers? Hopefully this month. It's got to happen February at the latest, right? I don't know what you they're waiting for. Them well, and L- Loudon doesn't have a team. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, them and Loudon mm-hmm. just need to get their stuff together. Well, uh, but like, wouldn't you rather have a logo and a brand than a team at this point? point <laughs> yeah i guess yes uh maybe i don't know i, I think loudon must be planning on f- filling out their roster with a lot of dc academy players which will be interesting yeah. also because they're they have good players but it's just a lot of there's just well, a lot and, of issues with the academy and like you DC. know if if mm. it's such a funny like uh i-95 corridor domino effect where it's like if one of red bull union or dc united do something the other two kind of eventually follow suit Uh, yeah i wouldn't say that about dc united because they've been on their own unique path of uh, i'm very i'm very skeptical i just let me just put it that way Uh, we are uh, yeah (laughs) we all are but i mean it's it's one of those things where especially like late january at this point like how else would they possibly fill out a roster unless they (laughs) think there's you know like uh, like a, a starting 11 almost literally of like non-drafted college kids that are really going to make an impact that they see a future in. I think you could fill it out with a, a couple of, but they're not going to pay them. That's the thing. And then they're going to ask them yeah. to live in the DC area. So they're, right. they're going to have issues there. And yeah. I think that it's going to be about bringing up Academy kids and just letting them get waxed like eight nil yeah. for the first part of the season for better or for worse. Right. So we'll see. Yeah. The Toronto anyway. FC to uh, FC Montreal kind of vibes there. Yeah, right. 
That's a that's a vibe I'm sensing, but you know who knows. Yep, I'm with you. Um, the only other thing I want to bring up because I thought you might know a couple more players that did this: um, St. Louis and Austin again. St. Louis and Austin Poncho uh, signed from U- Indiana University to North Carolina FC with Sarakin instead of even entering the draft. So, I don't, are there other guys that went free agents to USL and just skipped MLS altogether? that you know of yeah there's actually i can't think of names uh i know that tormenta signed a couple of guys marco micheletto from akron but i think that happened after pete pearson a midfielder from vcu also signed with tormenta i think they're a usl league one team that had a pdl side and now mm. they went i think they went pretty hard after a lot of their guys who they already knew pretty well from playing pdl those are just a couple of examples that come out you know the the goalkeeper from Columbia, Dylan Castanera, who was ended up drafted by FC Dallas, which was just kind of funny too. But he had already signed with Atlanta United too, and oh, that was yeah. reported before that all went down. So that was pretty amusing because FC Dallas is like, all right, we'll pick his MLS rights. And then <laughs> I I don't know how it works exactly, but I feel like if he's in, it kind of just screws the player, right? Where it's yes. like, yeah. Atlanta United too, Atlanta United is not going to bother signing him unless he like becomes a really good, since they'd have to. In theory, who knows how this would work, but in theory, they would have to give some kind of like allocation money or a fourth-round draft pick to FC Dallas, which is kind of, again, it's just spiteful and dumb and oh, yeah. very American <laughs> soccer-y. <laughs> as much hilarious. as I like FC Dallas. Oh, yeah, speaking of FC Dallas, we should talk about them in League One. That'll be very interesting as well, so just exciting. to throw that out there. Yeah, Because um, they actually have good academy players, unlike mm-hmm. a team do. that is slabberdashed together and doesn't have any players right now. Mm. It's going to mm. hurt Tulsa Roughnecks, if anyone, because <laughs> they've been getting all their best uh, loan players, honestly. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about alternatives to the Super Draft, um, but I think we should skip that. But um, you and Daryl Grove from the Total Soccer Show on the top dr- drawer soccer show, you guys yep. talked about um, alternatives to the draft. And I'll list like that there was free agency, giving the USL a couple rounds. My favorite was, what, from the Cooligans? The damn, the draft allocation money. So yeah. you have money to spend, and you just have to bid on players instead of just having a picking order. All those were really cool, and they go into a lot of um, a lot of detail about that on their show. I suggest you go listen to it. Yeah, the um, quick mention of that, I think the free agency thing makes the most sense, right? Or yeah. if you want to have it, you could you know, give certain teams amount of money like roster spot, I don't really know how you could do it, but I think you should just make it a free agency thing and let players choose and give them freedom. But we know that will never happen. Yeah, yeah. I think my only comment was that if the USL was given the option to join the draft, I actually get the feeling they'd just be like, no, thank you. <laughs> We're okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree too because it's like there's people think that there's this, you know, they're like this one and the same, but they're due to our different organizations doing different things, and even though they're both soccer leagues too. And there is obviously some rapport between the two hmm. organizations, but it's like, then you're just like becoming MLS's little brother even more, Yeah, which I'm sure they're probably trying to push away from. The rapport, they're just trying to be- the rapport is my favorite timeline story in the next like 10 years with MLS and USL. It's something I'm watching closely. <laughs> yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, the... The lead, it'd be, I'd be curious to know because I know if I've heard stories of how you know affiliate programs and technical staffs from like a MLS and USL team not getting along so great, but a lot of that was due to the staff on 
each side of the equation as well. Yeah, which mentioned. kind of typical. Um, let's not to spend too much time on it, but um, college rule changes, um, you know, all the weird things that college has. I'd like to chat about those just shortly about, you know, why they're still there. There was like rumors of it all going away and then becoming having normal soccer games. There were those those spring games that I guess Tab set up. I didn't know that that were all real college uh, rules and it was just a tournament, an individual tournament outside of NCAA. Um, how do you feel about these rules? What should be changed? What will change, if any? So the one rule change that was uh, on the table was to actually get rid of the countdown clock. So listeners who haven't followed the college game listen to the show like the college clock counts down which is stupid and like yep. the dumbest thing ever yeah pretty like much. the referee keeps time a little bit but it's like you know it's the silliest thing ever really but um that was on the table of course it doesn't get cut and then there's unlimited substitutions like you can come out in the first half if you come out in the first half you can't come back in and then you can sub up to three times in the second half but the a coach can make as many changes as he or she sees fit uh, it's difficult to imagine those changing. You look at college soccer, you have to look at it through the lens of this is not the best way to develop, even if it is still a development pathway available to a lot of player, players around the world. So, you know, I, I, I think that you can make the, a strong case for why the substitution rules should stay in place because, you know, it's NCAA soccer. It's nothing to do with FIFA rules. It's nothing to, like, it's its own animal even though let me clarify it should change they should do something differently i don't think it will Mm -hmm. and there's you can see the argument sort of like this you know it's it's an extension of scholastic sports right it's you should try to get higher numbers of your student athletes participating if you can they're still paying for it after all for the most part like it's another thing that a lot of people don't talk about is the number of there's only 9.9 scholarships in men's d1 soccer like there are very few full rides given out like in a full stop. Like a lot of times it'll be like, you know, 70, 80% type stuff, or there's a lot of chopping with scholarships as well. So things like that, it makes it harder to really see what would motivate the NCAA to whether it's extend the schedule or to change anything. Because look, at the end of the day, it's hard to suss out how much the organization cares outside of its revenue sports. And uh, that's, that's going down another tangent as well. But like, the MLS leaning on it, I think the best outcome as of right now for if from the player's perspective is you got to go abroad and you got to just be, all right, look, I'm going to give this pro soccer thing a yeah. shot. But if you are an MLS team, from your perspective, I would be, all right, hey, here's a 16-year-old homegrown we think highly of. And I think this is what Seattle is doing a little bit. We will give you a 40 to 50K USL or whatever, maybe a little less, but then... We will also like, have you know, we'll we'll throw in some money so you can do your college and whether I think like Sam Rogers at the U.S. at uh, Sounders too or Tacoma whatever's is an example of where they're helping cover the cost for school because he was supposed to go to Villanova but signed the deal with Seattle too instead. So yeah. I think that if I'm an, if I'm running a team and I have deep pockets and an ownership willing to go that route, that's what I'm pitching to try to keep my best players there. I think at the end of the day, you're going to lose out still to, you know, Stanford or Virginia. Like some of these cases where you play one season and you can come back with a guaranteed scholarship for life. Like, yeah, that's that's and, pretty significant. And now that you mentioned that, there's I'm so glad you said that because there is a question I've been meaning to ask you because you might know. Um, to me, part of the weird thing about uh, teams passing on the draft 
picks is that they're not just getting a player. They're also getting his MLS rights for life or at least for a certain amount of time. I think it's two years at this point. Oh, okay. So, so that's not that long. But to me, I, I don't understand why they don't just go ahead and pick someone just in case. Um, and I wondered if perhaps there's like a salary attached to that pick or something that would make them not want to do that. Yeah, it- the, for the senior contracts, or I, I think it just kind of depends on each situation. You a know, salary the, attached to like the first pick in the fifth round or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, uh, I mean it's a really hard to say. I think we're, there's a lot of hypotheticals we're dealing with mm-hmm. at this point, and now I think I'm just confusing myself. But <laughs> the uh, the better way, I mean, the better way. I say that as if it's definitive. the The way college soccer could adapt, if it cared, would be to extend the schedule. And then maybe players would. I don't. I don't even think if you do that, though. I'm arguing against myself. I don't even think if you do that, the elite players will still try to turn pro early and forgo college altogether, yeah. and kind of make drafts conversation and homegrown rules a little more moot. I think there were two things that were my favorite parts of the show you did um, with Daryl on your show um, about this, and one was adding to the Open Cup and how that would work, and, and <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, let's not go off on that necessarily, was, but I, I was, was curious. The college soccer, the college soccer open cup where D one, D two, D three and NAIA schools all play again. That, That'd that be sounds awesome. like madness. But it would be awesome, but like madness. It'd be madness. But I also think it'd be cool to add them to the open cup, the real open cup. And I've always oh, wondered yeah. why. So I think I forgot. What's the name of the, the Mormon school college in Utah? BYU. BYU. So they started a PDL team or a MPSL team. That was their college team, and so they would have an extended schedule that was the exact same players, just one was PDL and one was NCAA. And I don't understand why more colleges don't do that or why we don't just merge the two seasons one way or another with the same rules. Does Do you know why, or do you think it's a good idea or an option? I don't know. I I don't know the specifics of what the BYU team does or the program. I thought it was I don't a good how, idea, you know? Yeah, no, it's certainly an interesting idea. Like the, the, the cost benefit, I think that playing outside sort of the conferences, you're talking about probably having to foot more of the costs mm-hmm. than the teams do now. So I'd be curious to see how BYU as a school funds that team if they do, because it's run more like a de facto club soccer team than it is a yeah. NCAA sponsored. So I'm sure you know, that's a cost. money thing because they're playing in the, um, they're playing within the context and the framework of the NCAA or outside in the case of BYU. So then I'm, I bet they would have to chip in call like the players and the teams and the coaches. Uh, who knows how yeah. that works? I don't know. No, how I think works, you're right. So. I think you're right. Um, I've been hogging the mic a lot. Uh, Evan, is there anything you want to say or anything you want to ask Travis before we move on to fun things? Um, no, I think I'm all right, man. I mean, your team's the one that punted on the draft. You they know, are. Yeah. 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 I, Man, I, yeah, I don't know. Like well, they, they've had really good success in terms of the draft, which is just why I was surprised. Like guys like Chris Nanko and Santi Moore were both draft picks. Fabian Herbers was a draft pick. Like, um, you know, and then even to fill out their their USL roster last year, or the year before that, they've just kind of hoarded draft picks. So. Who knows? Um, I, you know, Ernst Tanner has only been on the job for uh, four or five months, I suppose now. So we'll see what his kind of vision is. And he's obviously never had to um, staff a USL squad before. So, you know, we'll see what his club looks like in in a little bit um, in the next month or so. But 
you always talk about like those guys if they turn too old they're out the door at steel yeah so i've already that. aged out of the uh of yeah. the of the team at 24 <laughs> um but so i do think it's worth i do think it's worth the opportunity by not drafting players and maybe signing them depending on how your roster is set up if philadelphia obviously is bullish on its academy it's better to push in your amateur guys in many ways like you really strip down this is how I envision it, right? You're stripping down on these college players who are 22, 23. Yep. You can probably find enough of these guys sticking around that if you want to fill it out with, a, you know, you need a couple of veteran leaders or USL grinders, whatever you want mm. to call it. Mm. I think that you're opening more path, more of a pathway for to blood your USL kids and, yeah. you know, hope it works out that well, way. And, and not only have the union been very bullish about their academy, and, you know, rightfully so, um, but I think... I have to kind of tabulate from when the when I talk to him, but I I think the kids that are the 15, 16s right now are like the best the union feel like they've ever had in their academy. The 16, 17s, you mean? Uh, yep. Yeah, yep. Uh, yeah, that that age group they feel so, is ripe. So we'll see. Because if I you think have that much faith also... in those guys, you can start playing them. Because they, I mean, they've done that with Fontana and Aronson, and you know. Yeah, the com- like you think about it this way, the combination of, and I know we're going really in depth on the Bethlehem Steel here, the combination of sorry players, everybody players players you shuttle down from MLS, yep. players you shuttle up from your academy, and then the guys that you sign to Steel from the academy or whatever wherever else they're from, mm. that that is certainly going to give you enough. Then you don't need to worry about drafting players. You can bring in allocation money to. Right. Well, the question is then you got to go out identify and bring in a player. That's the other side of the coin, right? Like they haven't done that yeah. yet. So right, right. if you don't do it and you sit on that money, then it's like, well, what did you do that for? So mm. yeah, there you go. Uh, cool, Tra- uh, Travis. You up for uh, a couple personal questions? Ooh, it's gonna get personal around here. That's scary. We're gonna get real personal. I'm not really gonna ask you your middle name, but <laughs> I mother's am- maiden name and last four years. So there you please, go. Um, no, I, I. You know you. Will Parchman left at some point for uh, Top Drawer Soccer, and you took over. And I was—I've been wondering. I was like, I don't know how long Travis has been there because I know you were there the whole time before that. So, how long have you been with I'm Top omnipresent. Soccer? Uh, the start of 2012. Okay, so pretty long time. And then it just kind of the podcast started. Will did what, maybe five, ten episodes, <laughs> and then it disappeared. And then you brought it back. So he's, is that is that he's left me holding the bucket. <laughs> Well, and so I was curious, like, is that something you always kind of wanted to do or you just felt like you had to do or like, where do you, where did you sit on the podcast initially? So we've, tr- we've tried and I wouldn't, I don't want to say fail, but just kind of gave up on podcasts previously before the current iteration of the show. Hmm. You can, if astute listeners or followers of Top Pro Soccer will know where to find the incarnations of these um so i actually did one in 2012 i think but i don't think we ever got it onto itunes which is how much of a how tech savvy i <laughs> was at that point yeah so now obviously we collaborate with the what is it there what podcast called total soccer show i always get worried about um saying top drawer soccer show instead of total soccer show oh, but yeah. um so that i just kind of picked up and ran with it it is a interesting you know it's a good way to vocalize things instead of internalize things i guess as weird as that sound it's almost like uh public therapy right mm-hmm. <laughs> no, just... well, that's how i but, feel uh, 
<laughs> it, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. I think it's the challenges are that we are a sort of a niche within a niche and there are mm. niches within that. So mm-hmm. like your aspiring college soccer player is not going to be as interested in perhaps the up and coming MLS or us youth national team players. And then a lot of what drives interest is, you know, women's college soccer, girls club soccer, those sorts of things. So mm. I have not yet to figure out a way to, you know, get all the listeners in together and to grow the show that way. But uh, if you're listening to this and don't know our show, Definitely check us out on iTunes. We are the Top Drawer Soccer Show. And topdrawersoccer.com is the website if people are unaware as well. Because I'm going to take this chance to plug our everything. So Perfect. We can skip it later. Now, <laughs> um, <laughs> Edit it out. Yeah, but it's a must listen because especially more and more, just like the draft, the more you cover college and, and other you know younger players, the more those guys are going to USL rather than MLS. So it's mm. even more um, you know maybe relatable to USL fans. So... Uh, so just adding that to your feed, your subscription feed there. Um, um, what is your favorite part of covering soccer? I like watching soccer live. Mm-hmm. As weird as that sounds. Is, is that weird? No, I, no. I mean like... No, no, no. So I, sadly, I don't get to do that as much as I used to because you know, I have children that wake up at 5.30 pretty much every day. So it's either, hey, go out to Audi Field or you know go to sleep at 9 p.m. and feel somewhat well-rested. But as crazy and overwhelming and cost like kind of crazy cost wise these the u.s soccer da games are it's still pretty fun to see like i not when i say live soccer i don't even mean like mls or usl like going to club events is kind of fun to walk around it's tiring and draining and challenging but it's also neat to see some players you know up and coming players i watched the was it the 2016 uh, nike friendlies i got to cover with that the 2017 World Cup team. So, you know, your Tim Weah, Josh Sargent, Chris Durkins of the world were there. And that they they won like 16 to 2 over three games. And I don't know if folks listening remember that was that was pretty neat because you got to see a lot of players that are now matriculating through the national team, which is still pretty rare. And I think is going to change. Like, I think there's going to be a big changeover with the full team as well. But the getting to see those guys was was pretty neat and fun. Um, I, you know, I like to get out to more games, but again, it's it's a lot of watching on screens nowadays, especially, uh, which is a good thing. There's so many different ways to watch soccer, whether it's college, whether it's even, you know, DA playoff games, you know, on YouTube or, you know, you know, USL, MLS, NWSL, national teams. So it's a uh, good problem to have. Uh, totally agree. Um, is there? something that's kind of your favorite perk or something you get a lot of access to just because you are who you are? Uh, I do not get a lot of perks. I, I assumed you didn't get a lot, but I mean, you do get more access. Just the fact that you get to go to those events. I got shut down yeah. at a CONCACAF event this year. so. Well, you know, it's uh, it's getting to see and talk to, I guess, that 2016 team, getting to interview Josh Sargent before mm-hmm. anyone knew who he was. That was pretty neat. I, I unfortunately no, I did. You know, I got to see Christian Pulisic play club soccer. So uh, the I'm trying to think if there are any other big. You know, Mallory Pugh. Well, she's coming through like the club scene as well. And I can't, I can't. You know, is getting like I think that's the 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 best perk I get. Yeah, I know I'm kind of tracking back on what I already talked about, but it's the it's having the chance to see what the players are like and how they adjust as they get challenged and push up a level, like. Just as an example of you know, Pulisic is somebody who I thought was good. I knew who he was because of the, 
knew he'd been with the youth national team at the U15 mm-hmm. level, but I never thought that he would break through in the way that he did at Dortmund because when I had the what his growth spurt and sort of surge of athleticism really changed the kind of player that he was and now is. So mm-hmm. I think that piece to it is interesting and kind of a reminder that for as good as players are, there's a huge difference between dominating your peers and doing it against grown men. There's been more players than not that I feel like, oh yeah, you can definitely be a good player. And then they just, for whatever reason, the grind, the consistency just isn't there. Yeah. Is there anyone you hit on early that you were really proud that you caught on before everyone else did? Uh, Everyone hated Christian Roldan and thought that he was a bad draft pick. And he's my one of a few hits where you think you see him and you think that he has the tools and intangibles. He had a cool story, not playing in development Academy. Uh, I, he was actually his college coach that recruited him, emailed me. He was like, Hey, we have this really good player. Keep an eye on him. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he wasn't getting sort of the same fanfare that a lot of the club players are simply because there are so many players and there's only, you know, two of us doing this. So hmm. the, uh, he kind of sticks to mind because so many teams didn't want him. He like ended up the Sounders ended up trading. And you know, the funny thing too about Roldan is let's say he's picked in the top five. Does he, is he still playing now? Is he in the national team now? Like, I don't know if that necessarily would have happened simply because he stayed in his comfort zone to an extent and hmm. found a place that I think that he's good enough that he would have, but it's just a core. It's an interesting question to ask yourself looking at it through my lens, I guess. Yeah, I agree. That's a good one. Cool. Um, that's all I got for you, Travis. Um, thanks for doing all you do. And, um, you know, you cover so much soccer. And you, did you just say there's two of you doing this with Top two, um, There's two other ones. So three of us total, Goodness but one's gracious. like part time. So yeah, we like, try. We do our best. Like you said, you cover all kinds of perfect. leagues, all different groups of people. So your podcast does cover a lot of different things, but it's just amazing that you do it with just three people. So thanks for doing that, man. And, and thanks for taking time out to uh, join us today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Travis Clark, fountain of knowledge on all lower levels of soccer, including college and women's game. Uh, Recommend you listen to Top Drawer Soccer if you don't already. Uh, Of course, you should subscribe to them as well. Uh, Get behind that paywall because they have so much content and a lot of good information. So I suggest you do that. Um, Also, take a look at all the beautiful game network, guys. Um, We've added more and more podcasts as we go along. We've got a NWSL one coming um, and women's national team. That's going to be really cool. Uh, I don't know if it's been announced, so maybe that's a tease. I don't know. But, um, you know, we're expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So uh, check out the beautiful game network at BGN.FM. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. There might be a USL show scarf coming or like a supporter group for the USL show scarf coming. It's we're working through details right now, but that's pretty awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you this Thursday night for the live chat. Join us at, um, what is it? 10 o'clock Eastern. No, nine o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock central. I'll let the rest of you adjust to the West coast. Thanks again. Have a good one.